Hello and welcome to another episode of the Religious Studies Project. I'm Bree Fallon and with me is... Dave McConaughey. Now this week we have an episode with you, Dave, re- recorded with Spencer Dew, and it is about the Alleyites. Who are the Alleyites? That's a great question. It's one of the first things that I talked with uh, Dr. Dew about because... If you are outside of America, you may be unfamiliar with the Moorish Science Temple of America. This is a movement that was started by a figure named Noble Drew Ali, uh, an African-American political and religious thinker, as Dew calls him, who began a, a black nationalist movement in the 1920s that became a real focus of communities in Chicago and New York and elsewhere that were trying to deal with the racial oppression of 20th century America and the challenges of citizenship and racial oppression and class oppression that they were dealing with. And Aliism or Aliites, as Duke calls them, were a way for them to really negotiate the complex challenges that they were facing in this era. So let's take a listen. My name is David McConaughey, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Spencer Dew a religion teaching fellow at Wittenberg University and affiliated faculty in religion at the Ohio State University. He's the author of several books, the most recent of which is The Aliites, Race and Law in the Religions of Noble Drew Ali, winner of the 2020 Albert J. Rabiteau Prize for Best Book in Africana Religions from the Journal of Africana Religions. It's our great pleasure to welcome you to the Religious Studies Project. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I, 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 I love this project. I love this podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, well, thank you. I, I find that sometimes the Americanness of what I work on is hard for our European and Australian and Asian counterparts to grasp. The Aliites might be a movement that is unfamiliar to to those outside of the United States. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Noble Drew Ali and the history of the related movements that you describe as the Aliites? Absolutely, and 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 I think it's safe to say that there is a a resolute Americanness to the uh, to the claims here and to and to what gets structured as religion. So Noble Drew Ali is a um, African-American political and religious thinker, innovator, active in the 1920s. There's uh, some uh, mystery and, and, and contested claims about uh, his past and when he gets started with this religious work. But I think we know fairly sure, we know for sure that in, in 1925, he moves to Chicago uh, and there he starts an organization that is eventually named the Moorish Science Temple of America. America is right there in the name. It is um, an, 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 a movement that uses the language of Islam, that uses the language of the fraternal societies. And by language, I mean I mean both the, the, the garb and the lingo. Um, but in a in a radically new and creative way, right? So he has a book called the Holy Quran. This is this is different than the Arabic Quran, and he's quite straightforward about that. Um, it has it has uh, precursors in other American religious movements, New Thought, uh, etc. Uh, but but he starts this movement on the basic claim that folks who are identified as 
Negro, black, colored. He also says Ethiopian, which has its own uh, history in America at the time. Folks who are identified as Negro, black, colored, or Ethiopian are not those things. Um, they are, in fact, he says, Moorish, and therefore, if they recognize that Moorish identity, they are Moorish Americans. Um, so, so here, here we get the first level of this really resolute Americanness to it. There's a way in which I argue in the book, his model looks very much like uh, an immigrant model, an immigrant assimilationist model that that surely he saw all around him in Chicago, right? Where you get these neighborhoods of folks who have their own flag, they have their own newspaper, they have their own way of dress, they have their own foodways, but they say we're 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 completely American, right? We're we're Swedish American, we're um etc. Uh, he says Moorish American works the same way, right? So recognize our flag, recognize our nationality. We can then be assimilated as full citizens into the American project, be full participants. This is in contrast to that that list of what he calls nicknames, um, legal fictions like uh, Negro. Negro is really, I think, the most important, and, and it's the one that I deal the most time with uh, uh, in the book because – it is the one that is most clearly flagged in American history as a legal fiction, right? We have lots of we have lots of of, of jurisprudence on Negro as a category. Uh, Dred Scott probably being the most famous, an American Supreme Court decision that said Negroes cannot be citizens. That for Ali and for the various religious communities that emerged from his thought is absolute proof of this idea that if you called yourself Negro, you can never be an American. Um, so you need to call yourself something else. And he offers this thing. Um, again, it comes marked in its own idiom. There's a, a Moorish flag. There's a Moorish way of dressing men wearing uh, fezes in particular, like like men in fraternal societies, um, which which means already like like a certain elite strata of men already had been wearing in a lot of very public contexts in Chicago. Right. This wasn't this wasn't. This wasn't this wasn't an abnormal way of dressing, let's say. This was a way of dressing that I think we need to recognize as already coded as being part of vested in citizenship and power. Uh, Aliites today love to post photographs of various former presidents and mayors and even FBI officials wearing fezes, right? Because a lot of these folks are in these fraternal societies where they wear fezes. Uh, so the fez had that kind of power, and it also marked them as distinctly other, right? As 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 foreign, I, I guess you could say, but as foreign in a way that is assimilated. It is a separate nationality, Ali says. Um, it's not a race. He says all humans are the same race, but humans are in different nationalities. And as soon as they admit, um, uh, recognize and own their nationalities, then they can be fully vested in American citizenship. Um, so that's the that's that's a very, very quick summary of Ali's career. Um, you know, he 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 only had, I guess, four years in Chicago. This organization quickly became a national organization. Uh, he did various tours, both throughout the, the the sort of predictable urban centers of the North, where you would expect a new religious movement like this to take off in African-American communities, but also through the South. Uh, there was an important community in Louisville, Kentucky, um, uh, some important communities in Arkansas, uh, and and folks were being drawn from, from, from deeper South as part of the Great Migration to, to join these communities in the north um then he dies in uh 1929 
the Morris Science Temple of America movement fragments. Uh, it, 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 it was already in the process of fragmenting before his death, but, but with his death, then there are um, deep divisions that continue to the present day in certain communities. Uh, and, and in the book, I look not only at the very, very wide and diverse range of folks who identify as Morris Science Temple of America. Um, I also look at, at two other, I think, equally diverse movements, uh, the Washita de Dugdamandia, um, which is a, a movement that started in Louisiana in, in the 1980s, um, predicated on the claim that the folks who are Washita are, are, they're not black. And, and most importantly, that they are the direct descendants of the original settlers of the new world. Um, the mound builders, the Doug Demoundia is, is, is literally who they are, right? We are the ones who, who built the bound, built the mounds, uh, poverty point in pioneer Louisiana being the most symbolically important, but again, this is now a diverse nationwide group. Uh, they do certain rituals at mounds. They talk about mounds as, as, as important to their claim as being indigenous folks. And then the third group is, is the, uh, Nuwabi and Yamasi, um, also known earlier known as the, uh, Ansaru Allah community. Michael Muhammad Knight just has this fantastic book on, on, on the history of this movement, uh, just released that y'all should read and do a podcast on. Um, I, I focus, uh, I think I focus mainly on the Tama Ray period in Georgia, which is what, uh, Michael Muhammad Knight calls the post Islamic, uh, period. Uh, he's got his own, um, meaning behind that term. Uh, but that is the period where this discourse, this Aliite discourse about citizenship to me seems uh, most important. And again, um, Ali is presented throughout the history of that movement as, as an important uh, forebearer or harbinger. I think what's striking to me is the number of different kind of layers of the arguments that, that we hear. So I know that, Noble Drew Ali's, one of his main messages that's picked up and echoed throughout your work is unpacking the meaning of a, of a phrase like citizenship is salvation, because it's predicated on very particular understandings of what citizenship means, of, of the racial configuration of citizenship, of the nationalizing of citizenship, which is a very fascinating um, uh, counterpoint to me, but also that, that it entails legal obligations, it entails uh, religious obligations, and all of these things are layered into something that I think for a lot of religious communities is entirely a secondary construct, that, that citizenship uh, for them uh, is, if not invisible, at least a, a second order category. And to, to be confronted with um, the Aliites placing citizenship as the, as the center point of their understanding of, of what it means to be American, what it means to be Moorish, uh, what it means uh, to be, um, uh, to understand the sovereignty of, of, their, of their own person and their configuration. I, I'm just continually amazed at the, at the layers that, that are there. When, when you first came to the project, did you, did you expect that 
that's something you know that seems as straightforward as citizenship is salvation. Did you, did you expect all those layers to 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 follow along behind it? Oh, gee, no. <laughs> I, I mean, look, the, the 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 story of how I first came to this project is that the the week that I got my PhD, I started uh, what became six summers worth of adjunct teaching for one of the Chicago Police Department BA programs, right? So working working cops, and in like two cases, fire firefighters, um, working cops could, uh, at the end of their shift, come to the police academy and do night classes to work for a BA, uh, which at the time I think was required for certain promotion within the department. Um, and then then there was a, a, a graduate MBA program, which is useful if you want to do something after being a cop. Um, which was always foremost, I think, in the in the students' minds. Uh, so, so, so. Long story short, I was introduced to the Moore Science Temple of America community through my students that first summer teaching mm. Chicago cops, and I was introduced to them very much in the model of bad religion, uh, mm. criminalized religion. Uh, uh, right. These are these are these are problematic folk who um, make false claims about their their rights. Right. They 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 speak they speak legalese in order to um, accomplish certain selfish arguments. Let's say that that sounds a little bit cynical. I should also say I should also say police always encounter sort of uh, right. P- police don't spend a lot of time encountering. Um, uh, religious communities that are invested in good citizenship let's say yeah right so so they were constructing their narrative off of their own policing experiences which are you know what, what whatever they are i think they also had um some very specific uh biases and i think um very importantly i can give a shout out to another book i've been um thinking about uh lately uh garrett felber's uh those who know don't say um, mm. from UNC Press, which is uh, I, I, I don't know when this will be aired, but UNC Press just made it free online because uh, Professor Felber was just fired from Old Miss for his his right. his, his um, political commitments. Anyway, that book is a fantastic book, and one of those one of the things that that book does best is it, it shows that that folks who are police and prison officials as well as policymakers are getting their ideas about religion and whether it's good and bad from specific sources. One of the sources he focuses on is the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, that's one of the sources I focus on in my book as well. And it, 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 when I was teaching Chicago police, um, my students would often come up and give me dog-eared copies of the Southern Poverty Law Center intelligence report, their glossy magazine, which laid out, you know, these religious movements are bad. These religious movements are criminals, um, and 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 that's uh, that's an important thing for us to wrestle with in religious studies. So, so that is a long-winded answer to your question. But yes, that's how I was introduced to the movement. So, no, I didn't I didn't expect there to be any of this sort of depth. And I think I I, I pursued it with a um, yeah with a profound naivete. I'm I'm struck though that that all of the things that 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 I that I will remember from your book the the kind of the the work that goes in to 
um, what you call knowledge practices, right? The, the work that goes into sustaining the arguments about citizenship as salvation. I can see how how those moves would have been affronting <laughs> the police officers in Chicago, right? That that sure. to to, yes. to have encountered a, 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 an Aliite uh, community member there who who was claiming that they were an American citizen and therefore, according to certain treaties that they were citing, that they were entitled to certain rights. Like, can you imagine, uh, you know, a beat cop? trying to, you know, uh, uh, deal with the situation and, and suddenly being put on the spot as uh, a representative of the state, a representative of the legal institute that, you know, is, I am just, um, it's so profoundly creative, but also it's so disruptive, right? Uh, in, in that creative way. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I found this fascinating from the get-go too, right? Because the, the students would also tell stories that hit on precisely that valence, right? I mean, they, they, they were pretty sure um, that these folks were wrong and and whatever other sort of derogatory term you want to throw at them. But these are folks who behave as experts in the law, right? Who, as you say, have have in fact spent years becoming experts in the law. Now, Judges and police could parse out whether that law maps onto the American legal. Um, that's a, a, a divide that I use use here in the book. But but yeah, a great deal of a great deal of uh, energy and attention and and really remarkable skill has has gone into this. Um, maybe I should circle back to the, the there was an earlier question before the question about how I got into this, uh, maybe it was less a question and more just a, a, a comment from you about citizenship is usually a second order category, right? That this yeah. is not something you say that, that, that religions, um, that religious movements obsess over. I think it's important. And this maybe goes back also to speaking to European and, and, and Australian and, and, uh, South American global, the global audience for this podcast. This is a religious movement that emerges from a conflation of some very specific American trends. One is anti-black racism, right? This is a movement that, that, that is trying to deal with the deep and ongoing history of anti-black racism, the objectification, the, 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 the dehumanization of black skinned folk. But it's also a movement, and this is where it gets its, 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 its fire, if you will. It's also a movement that in responding to the situation of anti-Black racism in America, in, in, in responding to a history in which the American legal and political system has been unequal and unjust, it insists upon certain founding ideals of the American experiment. Um, so, 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 so it's not just dealing with the negative. It's well, it's dealing with two negatives. It's dealing with the anti-black situation, and it's dealing with the fact that, as Ali and Aliite thinkers up until now um, insist, America isn't fulfilling its promise. America isn't being America. Um, now, maybe that sounds sort of uh, loose and ethereal, but but it's mapped by LAI thinkers onto some very specific things. The legal system, for instance, does not reflect the law. 
right? So Aliites talk about the law in, in terms of natural law, in terms of divine law, in terms of in terms of, of, of God, God's self, like all law uh, is all law. Um, that law, that law is is not the law that is um, handled by the legal system, right? Uh, but Aliite thinkers say that law is also natural to us, inherent in us, right? So there's a metaphysics of law that say, even though the judge who runs this corrupt and unjust legal system who's just sending black and brown people to prison and doesn't know the law, something inside his heart, inside his body actually is 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 primed to know the law and therefore there's a, a convertibility that's that's not necessarily mm. an alley term but there's a there's a way in which knowledge of the, the true law can reach folk yeah. um so so that puts a you know why is why is citizenship not a second order category um well for for a slew of reasons having to do with these two um problematics that America is not a place of equality and freedom, uh, and that black folk are particularly uh, stigmatized and stripped of even, even legal standing. So there's a respectability politics to it, right? The Aliite movement is also about, um, you know, being good citizenship, per performing good citizenship in certain ways. Uh, there's a critique of the current political system. There's a real belief in stuff like popular sovereignty and in the idea that you can go to the courthouse and get justice. And, and there's a, and I struggle with this a little because there's something, um, I think a little politically retrograde about this. There's also a very American, maybe very neoliberal sense of assigning responsibility back to the individual. So Noble Jurali said, uh, we're responsible for slavery, right? But those who were enslaved were responsible for slavery because they forgot who they were. That's, uh, that's a hell of a claim. I, I think that's a claim, that, right? that, that's a claim that maybe was, I mean, we've also got to remember that Noble Jurali was not just speaking to potentially Moorish audiences or to Moorish audiences. He was also trying to speak to, um, white audiences and, and audiences that represented real political power in Chicago, where he, he, he was, you know, jockeying for political power himself. So I, so I wonder if, if some of these formulations uh, were designed to, 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 um, to appease racist folk outside the community, but, but, but it also, it also had a, it also has this effect of, really motivating um that that primary importance of, of citizenship and the work of citizenship because if, if if you're responsible for your own social situation if you're responsible for all of the problems that might befall you um well then you better you better start hustling you better uh, you better change it and i think that that kind of i don't know if that's self-help i don't know what sort of words to use there but that putting the burden back on the self and on the community that's really been an essential engine throughout Aliite history as well it it strikes me and maybe this is this is just my reading as as hugely individualistic that it that it says to each of us there is work because of 
the affiliations, the relations that you have, but you have to do that work. Hey, we can't, we can't necessarily do that work for you. We can tell you the frame of the work. We can tell you the structure of the work. We can tell you who that work must be directed at, but at the end, only you can stand up and do that work. That's, that's really interesting because it's, there's a, there's a, I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say tension, but I think the harder truth is that there's not a tension between that radical individual responsibility and a sense of communal commitment. Yeah. Um, maybe it is attention because I, I guess I could frame it another way uh, again for our, for our non-American audience, but let's say for our American audience as well, this is a real paradox and problem in American history, right? In America, in America, we, the people, we, the individual citizens are supposed to be the sovereign, um, right? Which is a tall order to put it mildly, but also, I mean, if we're going to function as something like a country, we need to have some sense of communal responsibility. COVID has not revealed us to be particularly attuned to communal responsibility, but 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 you're right. In Aliite practice, there is particularly on the level of knowledge practice and 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 epistemology this sense of you've got to figure it out on your own, right? Aliite thinker after Aliite thinker says you've got to do your own research, right? You don't mm-hmm. you don't go to the temple and hear the truth and just convert. You've got to figure it out. Um and so that, that's radically individual, but also if you're not if you're not looking out for the community and don't have a sense of responsibility for for the community, and I think plenty of folks would say both for the community and for the nation. I mean, both for the both for the Moorish nation and the nation state of of the United States. Um, then you're not then you're not doing it right. You're not fulfilling your responsibility. This this citizen is salvation. Citizenship is salvation. This quote that you mentioned. It, it, it's it's it's. I mean, it's also a, a a responsibility, right? That you have to you have to do this work called citizenship, which is you know voting. There's plenty of alley thinkers that say you have to vote. You have a responsibility to vote. We have to we have to bring about this transformation so that the United States of America becomes what it was or what it could be. Um, it becomes this 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 place aligned with God's law as opposed to this corrupt inadequate, unjust place. I'm most challenged in your work, and this is perhaps a personal theoretical failing on on my part in my training, by these issues of sovereignty that are being claimed uh, by the Aliites, that we must interact with the state on the state's terms, and that by presenting ourselves in a recognized forum in the in the language that the state recognizes even if it rejects it that 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 elevates our position it gives us the authority gives us the power gives us the right uh to be fully american in that context that was hugely challenging for me because as someone who's maybe watching the interaction between an Aliite and a judge, if the Aliite says, well, I'm going to cite X and Y treaty from the past, and the judge says, those treaties are not relevant here, I reject your claim and dismiss your suit, from, <laughs> from, my, from my perspective, right, it's really challenging to understand what, what kind of victory that claimant had 
right? From the legal perspective, it, it feels like a loss, but yet they present it as a, as a win. And, and sovereignty, you say, is at the heart of why they see that as a win and not a loss. Can, can you explain a little bit more about that? Yes. So the first thing to say is that this notion of sovereignty is, oh, you know, I said some things earlier were problematic in terms of American history. Um, yeah, there's some problematics in in American history that are that are that are sometimes productive, sometimes uh, extraordinarily destructive, but sovereignty, sovereignty, I think is not a useful concept. I think mm. sovereignty is, um, well. Let's 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 frame it in, in American terms, right? So in America, we have this notion of popular sovereignty, right? The sovereignty of we the people, the sovereignty of the citizen. <sighs> there are times that this is certainly um, inspirational um, and seems promising. I think the notion of sovereignty itself uh, becomes a kind of trap. Um, it's 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 how do we achieve what it in fact promises? Um, so so we don't need to get into Schmidt and Agamben to recognize that sovereignty is this model of of a kind of absolute power derived from um, certain theological teachings. Um, sure, I guess it's manifest by uh, despots and tyrants and monarchs and dictators. Whether that's a useful term to talk about Supreme Court decisions or uh, elected representatives, let alone we the people, it seems, it seems again, I'm, I'm using kind of cheap language here, but it seems problematic. So let's get into the specific examples you cite. What does it mean for an ally to go in front of a judge in a courtroom, um, make an argument, cite uh, a legal precedent, and not win, right? I mean, I'm really, really interested in, um, it's important for us as, as scholars of religion, it's important for, for us as people who think about humans to realize that the sort of exchanges that happen on the street and in the courthouse, um, that there's more to them that, right, they're not a football game. It's not just, I mean, a football game isn't like this either. It's not just win or lose, mm -hmm. right? So the, 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 the charge can be dismissed. You can be sent to prison, but you can still feel um, that, that you've accomplished something. Now, one language that's popularly used to talk about what here is accomplished is a sense of sovereignty, that one has stood one square and exercised one sovereignty. That experiential sovereignty is obviously very different than the sort of absolute power that someone like a dictator might have. Um, I guess that's where I want to locate a real exploration of the problematics of sovereignty. This is something I'm, I'm trying to work on uh, at present at, at, at the AR that happened fairly recently. I talked about um, uh, COVID COVID public policy uh, mandate protesters, right? Folks who who were rallying against the quote unquote tyranny of having to wear masks. Um, and, and, and again, it's the same problematic at play, right? These are folks who 
um, I think, uh, fellow citizens who, who, like us, believe that the citizen is supposed to be sovereign. We, the people, are supposed to make decisions around here. Um, and in certain spectacular instances, uh, whether that's public protest or whether that's acts of refusal, right, walk into the piggly wiggly without your mask, um, or whether that's acts of um, uh, epistemological or, or hermeneutic work, right? Figure out the, the latest cue drop. Um, one can experience this sense of, of, of sovereignty. Um, but that, that, experiential, that experiential moment, among other things, it's just a moment and it's just fleeting. And then it leaves you. Uh, in, at, 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 the, at the AR, I, I, I compared this with uh, William S. Burroughs' um, uh, discussions and, and, and theorization of uh, uh, heroin addiction, right? He, he uses heroin addiction to talk about society of control. And he says, heroin addiction is all about, um, it's all about highs and sickness, right? You, 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 you do a shot and you experience that thing, which is that momentary experience of sovereignty. I'm standing in the, in, in the street, maybe by myself, maybe with colleagues yelling out about, about mask mandates, but then, then that moment is over and, uh, I'm, 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 I'm not a sovereign. Um, Maybe the other way to say this as a scholar of religion is that this notion of sovereignty then also becomes one of these engines that really um, that really drives religious practice and religious thought. Uh, it's it's something it's something we want. It's something I think we desperately need. And 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 again, I'm speaking in an American context where it's been really enshrined and canonized and taught on. But I I I, I suspect um, I suspect there's analogs elsewhere as well. I wonder as we we wrap up about some of the ways in which we have an opportunity in the future to think about the lenses that were not used in the book or maybe some of the language choices that were not used. So you focus on sovereignty and while you were speaking about it, I wondered why autonomy was not um, a more central uh, uh, kind of language to talk about it. Similarly, your your work on identity and and the the racial national components of how they see citizenship i wondered whether the the politics of respectability meant that class was was a much bigger issue in 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 these communities and that the right to to defend oneself pro se in the legal system wasn't in in some senses a, a rejection of the kind of um, class elements of participating in, in the legal system. So, so if you were to to tell the audience and tell tell um, your future self, perhaps what what would be the next set of lenses that you would want to uh, apply to this uh, that would that would help you move the the discussion of the way in which these categories are really foundational. What what comes next? Wow, that's a that's a really interesting question. I mean, obviously, sovereignty is here a, a, a native category, right? So, so yeah. one reason that there's so much attention to sovereignty is that this is the the, the term that's used. Um, class matters in in some complicated ways, in that Ali's teaching is also um, I think both aspirational and 
oh, what's the language here? I mean, he 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 doesn't challenge class divisions in a way that I I find um, worthy of note. Right, his eschatological vision is that the rich and the poor will lay down together in harmony, which is very different than um, than than no longer having those categories of rich and poor. This is the um, the, the lion and the lamb image. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but 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 where would I want to go further with this kind of stuff? I'm particularly interested in um, in, in in biopower, and and one thing that I don't think I explored. And this is where I got to the the COVID protesters. Actually, one thing I didn't explore in this book, or, or didn't think sufficiently about, is a few minutes ago, I said there's this idea that, that the judge, even if the judge is unjust and doesn't know the law, the judge can know the law because somehow God's law is etched in the judge's heart. In a lot of Aliite thought, it's not just etched in the heart, which is a poetic turn of phrase. It's, it's literally in the cells of the body, right? Mm. That we acquire not just knowledge of law, but also a category called legal immunity um, through our mother's milk. Um, it flows in our veins and just as our true identity can be corrupted by our conscious acceptance of legal fictions if i think i'm a negro suddenly suddenly i'm not who i who i am um likewise if uh, foreign substances are injected into our body right so so and and this is obviously this is not all aliites but there is some I think complex and very, very interesting Aliite discourse on vaccines um, mm. that that treats seriously this idea that the body is itself um, a product of God and therefore at, at one with law, and that one needs to be very cautious about uh, um, foreign foreign interference, whether it's conceptual or or physical. Um, yeah, that's 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 one lens. I don't know. If that's yeah. a, I don't no, know if that's, that's great. A, a sufficient answer. What I was thinking about in in the turn to biopolitics, and I do have a digital copy of her book, so I just did a quick control F. Foucault, nowhere, nowhere in 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 the mix, and 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 I and I wonder if those larger genealogical biopolitical elements really really have a place the thing that it most reminded me of is in my own um uh covid distractions i've been doing more literary reading and i read uh the marrow thieves uh, by sheree dimeline um which is about um indigenous native peoples being hunted for the genetic information in their bone marrow um and i think there is a there's a rising moment of recognition you know, genealogy.com and heritage.com and these uh, what is it 99 and me uh, where you can you can get your genetic markers done I think these this <laughs> say that again I thought it was only 23 but oh, 23 me you know I, I, you know I'm, I, you know it's probably I probably have embarrassed myself there. <laughs> um, but that, that I think that's a rising that's a rising moment. Science is now able to uh, make claims about some of those ethnic and national and racial potentially origins that are that complex configuration of abstract and uh, genetic fact that are, that are all imbued there. And we're now seeing a lot of literature from indigenous and Native American communities. And, and I'm hearing from you from from um, inventive Black American traditions as well that are that are tackling 
that next biopolitical kind of move, that that sounds fascinating to me. That to, to return to your other question, that's wrapped in class too. So among yeah. Aliyah thinkers, there is great suspicion about the DNA industry. Um, and and I think I think I think rightly so. I mean, they're aware that these are um, these are big corporations with with small data sets, and and there's something. Um, yeah, there's there's numbers. There's a number of reasons to be suspicious about the process and the product there. And there, I think we're getting some 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 very very interesting uh, thought and critical reflection. Yeah. Um- if uh, if you could recommend uh, to to other teachers who might like to use your work on the Aliites, what would you be uh, recommending as a final kind of send off to us today? Which part do you think is the most accessible for perhaps the advanced undergraduate class to use? Boy, that's an interesting question. Um... I would like to think that the 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 chapters uh, stand alone nicely. Um, I mean, I think the the chapter one sort of sets out some basics. But as long as you're asking me, I mean, I, I, to, to to me, I think the 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 piece that that I would be most interested in in teaching to undergrads, if I hadn't written it, because that makes it sort of awkward. Would be the the introduction, right? Which is 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 or I'm I'm sorry the the preface, um, which is which is very brief, um, but offers a, a a real glimpse of um, a real glimpse of the Washita community, a Washita community in just sort of standard uh, exchange, right? It's it, it's it's not um, it's not fancy theorizing. Uh, it's 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 just folks talking through their religious frame, um, their social frame. I I think that's that's the sort of stuff that that I as I really plan for a semester that's about to start or too soon. That's the sort of stuff I'm I'm most interested in, in in really getting students to pay attention to and 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 analyze maybe analyze sounds a little too clinical but i i I want them to to pay attention to human moments recognize the human stakes that i think is 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 the job and material that does that is the material that we should be most interested in well that's wonderful well thank you uh dr do so much for joining us today we really appreciate your time and i'm really thankful for this contribution that that had me thinking about uh, citizenship and sovereignty and the Aliites in totally new ways. And I'm very appreciative uh, for your work. Thank you. It was great, great being here. I certainly learned a lot from that episode and we hope you enjoyed it as well. As always, you can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook, the Religious Studies Project, and on Twitter at Project RS. And if you would like to help keep the Religious Studies Project free and on the air, head to our website, and head to the Donate tab where you can donate and keep us on the air via Patreon. Until next time, where we have an episode by Candace Mixon. She sat down with Richard McGregor on following the objects, seeing religion in Egypt. Until then, all that's left to say is, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. 
The RSP is sponsored by the BASR, NAASR and the IAHR and is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation. Find out more at religiousstudiesproject.com. Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey and founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me, and David Robertson, that's the other guy. Our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett-Fox and Lauren Osborne and our Opportunities Digest by Ella Buck. Audio editing by Alex Matthews, podcast transcription by Andy Alexander and Savannah Finver, and social media managed by Ray Radford and Candice Mixon. Don't forget you can support the project by using our Amazon affiliate links or donating at patreon.com backslash project RS. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes and other portals. Thanks for listening. <laughs>